Hi, my name is Alan. I'm a business designer and welcome to the Beyond Users podcast, where we learn about business to become better designers. Welcome to another business design jam. That's a format where two or more business designers get together and discuss uh, interesting business design examples or topics that are related to business design. So in this episode, um, uh, my co-host is Trent Huan, uh, an ex-IDEO business design director, and uh, we discussed the importance of design research, and uh, we talked a lot about desktop research, so doing uh, research on uh, industry and competitors, and also using data, so utilizing data to come up with insights and do better design work. So yeah, we basically discussed the design research from the perspective of business designers and um, how we do it. So before diving into the episode, I'd like to invite all listeners who are interested in learning more about business to head over to beyondusers.com and there they can find a five-day um, email course which basically covers five really important fundamental business skills that are relevant to designers and to our work. So head over to beyondusers.com and just simply sign up. Cool. So that's all in this intro. Now enjoy the conversation with Trent. Cool. So Trent, we're talking about um, research, design research today. Why is that? Um, I think design research is the starting point for good design. And um, I see... I sometimes get the feeling that design research isn't always well understood and I get the feeling that design research isn't always done well. Um, and so I think it's an important point for us to discuss about like what are, how do we sort of define design research and how do we um, make sure that we're doing it well and building it into, you know, the design, it forms the basis of the design that we're going to actually undertake. Perfect. So it's two business designers talking about and defining design research. <laughs> yeah, that'll piss people off, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which I get. Like, there's at least from an audio perspective, um, there's a lot of like it's a it's a discipline in and of itself, right? And it's it's very ethnographic and it's it's a, a long idea. It has a long history of, of being involved in audio. But when I go and talk to other people about it, and they get asking me what's a what's a design researcher? So as a concept for a lot of people i think it's 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 misunderstood or it's simply not there and i guess it's interesting as you're um sort of more on the business design front and trying to define it design research is super well understood at ideo and at a lot of other sort of organizations but most organizations have no fucking idea what it is and in my opinion it's a super critical role to have in your in your team in order to make things work and i think one thing you had to mention is that at ideo almost everybody does research, which is really important and really cool. Like when you're on a project team, it's not just design research, you're doing design, uh, like research, but it's like the whole theme going into the field and actually doing the research, which is not the case with all consultancies or especially like product companies. And I think it's really important for um, creating this first common understanding of what the problem is. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the design researcher is like the critical person that's there, sort of <clears throat> uh, organizing that research and um, and and driving it and and sort of owning it and owning the outputs. But having the rest of the team there, listening to unfiltered feedback on their product from users, uh, or even if it's in a more um, inspirational or exploratory or discovery phase, like listening to the 
the way that users sort of describe their problems is is super and and, and unfiltered is super important as a I think as a starting point and an inspirational starting point for for any designer, um, be they interaction, be they comms, be they service, be they business, whatever. Perfect. Okay, so what's our opinion on the research? Or, or maybe let's define it first. Like, I'll give you, I'll give you the first try. How would you define? The- <laughs> yeah, I'll try. Um, so I, I guess, just thinking um, about my experience, we would sort of consider the fir- a first round of um, a first round of uh, research would be inspirational research, right? So how do I? I've defined the problem. How do I go out and, and sort of start understanding the problem in more detail? So I think, um, in my opinion, it sort of begins with desktop research. So, you know, really what's out there, what's happened already, and it's desktop understanding what is the industry, like how does this industry actually work? Um, how does the competition sort of interact? And, and competition needs to be sort of thought of quite broadly, right? So who are those startups that are going to come in and disrupt things? And you can garner a lot of that sort of stuff from just doing desktop research. Um, I think the other part of that is sort of seeing what it, what, how do you start to build your own hypotheses or your own sort of first ideas about what the problems are? I mean, you're not looking for solutions at this stage, but you're sort of trying to understand before you've gone out and, and done and spoken to users, what, what can you understand about the problem? Um, and then I think from there, um, at least from an, an audio perspective, but I, I think it's super valid is what we would call looking ins. Um, so understanding the organization for whom you're designing. And, you know, if you're a consultant, then that sort of means having more conversations with the relevant internal stakeholders. But even if you're an internal um, designer, then it's understanding the different stakeholders internally who you're, whom you're designing for, or who you believe you're designing for. And so having conversations with those guys, understanding what, what they're looking for or what their expectations are is super critical because you're going to need to come back and, and sell it to those people internally eventually anyways. So having them on board initially, or at least having them feel like they're being heard, even if you choose not to hear them. Um, but having them sort of a feeling that they've, they've been involved in the process is super important because you're going to eventually close that loop and come back and tell them a story about why you've designed the thing that you've designed and you sort of understand their expectations about it. So, that's a little bit on, I think, on the on like understanding the the landscape and understanding the organization. And then I think it's, a, it's time to then really get out and talk to those different users and those different stakeholders that you you're um you actually believe that you're designing for so there's those the normal the straight up people that you're designing for there are those what what we we might call extreme users so you know the early adopters or the the never adopters what can you learn from those guys um i think the other thing that we probably should have talked about before that was is um looking at data right like it's 2019 you're clients or your stakeholders will have a lot of data it's going to be horribly messy um it's probably not well leveraged and well utilized and well understood and people aren't necessarily packing insights um or getting insights out of it but i think the understanding of what can you understand by looking at user behavior through clients data is also a a, 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 an opportunity to gather more insight and inspiration for the for the stuff that you're going to be designing um I hope I didn't ramble on too much in there or whatever. No, it's good. I'm just going to build on, on that. <laughs> good luck with that. <laughs> um, so one of the things you mentioned was doing the desktop research, right? And um, acquiring data, I think, is like one part of that. So once you really start with a project, one thing you can do is ask like, and then I think a lot of designers really don't do it enough, is like just ask for 
what is available already in the company or of their client like hey do you have any industry reports do you have any yeah. uh, industry yeah. data like can you send me any documents because sometimes they're really expensive documents yeah. but the company has bought them yeah and then there is plenty of stuff that you can build on and create really cool hypotheses for the research and this can be the basis for your desktop research because one of the biggest um challenges of the desktop research and as a business designer i know because this is usually the the stuff that we do is finding those good resources highly reliable resources uh, but i mean highly reliable is super subjective anyways like those market research reports that says there's a 20 trillion dollar opportunity in the internet of things i mean that's to some extent that's <clears throat> what a lot of those reports are sure i mean but you have yes but I would say that kind of report is more reliable than just having like an article without any um, resources at the, at the bottom. So it's different level of reliability. Of those uh, it's definitely better. But I think, I mean, what I've sort of been up to for the last few years is sort of ideally the clients got, they've already spent the 4000 bucks on the market research report thing and you can sort of um, do that. But I think what happens a lot of times is that you need to start piecing together different um, different sources in order to sort of understand the market that you're designing for. So, <clears throat> I mean, it's more about gathering um, source data, but you typically then need to start of start, what can I know about this thing? Um, and how do I sort of start to make smart assumptions about the things that I'm looking at? Because you never get the answer to the question in the market research report or the size of the, the, the market, whatever. Um, but there's, there's sort of like, yes, there's the market research stuff, but there's also then the data that you get from your clients or from your... And that, I, I think it's important to make a distinction between those two things because that's where I was banging on before about um, there is this... There's, people are collecting data, right? Like it's the big oil thing and that's all good. But most of the time that data is super messy. Um, no one knows who owns it internally. You're writing emails and you're not getting answers for three weeks. So you need to then run it up the totem pole in order to get the boss to ask for it. Like simply the process of getting the data also demonstrates how organizationally fucked up things can actually be internally. So that's not being, that's not to say that <clears throat> it's not a good process to sort of understand who owns the data and what data is available. Um, but I think the, even before you get it, um, there's a lot of hurdles and, and, and hoops to jump through, which can be a bit painful. Mm. I mean, one way maybe to combine getting the data um, from internally from client or from your internal sponsor or whomever might be this looking ins. Um, yeah. I think this is a really cool thing that many designers do not use, like especially in product companies, I don't see it enough. Uh -huh. It's like talking to internal teams yeah. and reaching out to different departments and actually talking about um, the... So if I get like a project X and I'm working on this, then I can reach out to all the departments that are going to be affected by this and sure. asking about their, hey, what's your goal related to this? What's your challenge related to this? What's your, what are your KPIs? And is there any data that you can give it to me? Mm -hmm. um, and that kind of can start start a process rolling with the looking in. I mean, yeah, but you're assuming good. Um, and I think that's often the problem is that are like, well, I'm working for this department over there and, and Jenny over here and the other department's not going to share me with the data because they're working on the same thing, but our silos are so massive that we don't see it and we don't share stuff with one another. Um, and so I think you start running into a lot like, 
Because conceptually, absolutely. But I think what you find is that it's not clear who owns that data. It's not clear with whom that data is allowed to be shared. There's no transparency about accessing it and, and, and sort of all these um, these challenges that, like from an organizational design perspective that need to be solved in order to be able to share that data across the business, um, they're not solved. And that's also part of the problem of just getting access to this stuff. As I say, like, even if you start, and I agree with you, but like, Looking, using those looking in interviews as a place for who else should I be talking to in the organization or where else can I find this information starts to surface um, some of those problems, but it's often just a huge organizational challenge to get it. Exactly. But that's the challenge. I mean, if you start talking about it, then you can see actually what you have to do to get that data. And sometimes yeah. you, you, you can even at least get the sense if it's worth the time. <laughs> yeah. Like. <laughs> What kind of data is there? Should I even be actually going for it? Or is maybe the stuff that I can find online enough? Yeah, but I think you get different stuff, right? I mean, I think you start to look at um, uh, how many users do we have and how many are unique and how many are using the product. Like we get a lot more information about how users are interacting with our company and with our existing set of products. And when you're looking at online stuff, you'll get different perceptions around market size or what are people generally talking about or maybe how they're using competition stuff, whatever. Um, I think what you get, if you're able to get it, you start understanding a lot more about how customers are interacting with the, the product today. And that's super valuable, but typically that data is super messy, right? Like I, my sort of rule of thumb is that people are going to spend 80% of their time cleaning data and 20% of their time analyzing data in order to be confident in the insights and the outputs that we're getting. And so that's also sort of changes. We're talking about design research here, by the way. Um, that's also really relevant for well, who's doing, how are we organizing a team in order to do design research? Because clearly then we need to have um, significant data science power on that sort of thing in order to be doing the extractions, doing the cleaning, doing the analyses. Um, and that's often tied in really nicely with the looking in research that we've done or the, the insights that we're learning from looking out activities. That's a bit of then how do we start to mash all that stuff up together and synthesize it and start making sense of it all. Um, sorry, I recognize I rambled and jumped there, but I, I, I sort of was just putting in an advertisement for taking data scientists out into the out into the field and doing research with them. I think. Um, yeah, how was your experience with that? Yeah, it's 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 um, it's super positive, man. Like I think, um, and I, you know, Idea bought um, the Datascope a couple of years back uh, in order to have access, having more data scientists on the team, um, and so it's like any any part of a, of a multidisciplinary team right like a data scientist just has a different i'm using data science as a super general term but like just they bring a different perspective and they ask different questions and i think um it's super useful to have them um involved in the looking in conversations um they can obviously have a better conversation with the data owners and the business analysts on the client side and start to extract that information but i think what becomes cool is that through the qualitative research that you're doing you sort of start to build hypotheses and then you can start looking ideally start looking at the data like is it true or, or how do i find data that supports or or negates my my hypothesis so um it's it's sort of i'm not you know a data scientist in a basement um you know looking at data but i'm sort of a data scientist that's ideally out in the field talking to users listening to users and then seeing how that qualitative stuff combines with the quant stuff that i've ideally now got and and ideally is now clean and and ready for analysis which takes most of your fucking time anyway 
Yeah, cool. But I think even if you don't have like a data scientist on your team, I mean, one one thing you can do is like find friends within the company. If it's a big company, they're usually some uh, data scientists you can work with to help you with that stuff. Yeah. But if even if it's um, even if it's like a small company, you have no data scientists. A lot of this stuff is really basic numbers also, and just with some basic numbers, you can do a lot of uh, really fundamental stuff. You can see, like you said, like unique. Uh, how many unique customers we have are we trending upwards downwards um, just identifying some challenges yep. and that's something that even if you haven't gone to a business school or data school I don't know if that's a thing or not but if you haven't done like a data course it's just something that's pretty obvious yeah but it requires an understanding of a horrible data structure um, like yeah, the problem I think, is I think we're talking about two different scopes one is you have like huge amounts Maybe. of data and then you try to extract some insights out of it and another one is just like basic scoping for what is happening in industry and with competitors i mean in case when we really yes. go into depth then yes all of that um cleaning data and having like statistically significant processes is really important but if i just like i mean in the beginning of the project i'm just trying to figure out okay who are my competitors oh, absolutely then it's much more simple but yeah. then it's just desktop stuff right then it's it's it more might be buying statistics from app annie or whatever like i might be sort of looking at user numbers like that but they're more clean aggregated already processed insights are kind of ready for you to understand kind of research i would say well i would agree up until the final point Ooh. which is <laughs> you get the data but you don't get the insights out of those reports uh, sure yeah Sure. Okay. And that, but that's your job, right? I mean, your exactly. job is to read them and, and, and yeah. they typically throw some insights up there like, oh, the market's growing X percent, Kager. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was my business voice. Um, so the, like, they have things like that, but that's not necessarily insightful. I think it's your job to sort of read it and start piecing exactly. things together. But you're right. I think there is that distinction to be made between what I can know about the industry and competitors through market research. And then I would say there's like the more hardcore data science of like gigatons of petabytes of information that I can get from a client or the company I'm working for. But that's when my data is a, a filthy beast cynical hat comes on and you spend most of your time sort of cleaning it, trying to understand it. I mean, this is, this is a bit of a view of maybe like um, old school European industrial organizations as opposed to Google or Amazon or, or a bit more of a um, newer companies who are better organized and better structured and, and better able simply to leverage their leverage their data. Um, but that's not that's simply not always the case. And I would argue that in most companies who are not Google or Amazon, um, their data is or let's say they're not a company that's a company that's more than ten or fifteen years old. A lot of that data is pretty ugly, living in some fucking IBM mainframe somewhere that's just inaccessible, or it's SAP. It's super difficult for for you to get it out, and it's it costs you like six hundred thousand bucks um, to actually get the data out or to add another line if you want to start capturing more data about human beings. I mean, those older systems are simply not flexible and extensible in order to start doing more sort of things with the data. We're talking about design research here, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we might no. have gone off topic. That's so, that's okay, but right? No, I think it's still part of it. Um, so, okay, then let's go back to yeah. kind of the core. Um, <laughs> let's try. <laughs> so... How do you, maybe, okay, Trent, how do you usually set up the user research or the design research? 
So hopefully we've already done some desktop understanding. So we have some initial hypotheses about like what problems are and, and maybe we're sort of starting to build some initial concepts or initial ideas about what solutions might be, but at a super sketchy high, like a, a super lo-fi level. Um, then we're sort of saying, well, who else, who are the stakeholders in this mix, right? Who do we actually need to talk to? So yeah, there's the people that's going to use the product, but maybe there's the people that we need to have who are going to be marketing the product. And that's super important. Well, absolutely. Like I think that stakeholder mix is is critical, right? We're not just, you know, it's it's a complicated world out there, kids. So we're not just sort of designing a, a can of Coke for someone to drink. Like it'll be a bit more of a, well, maybe you are, but um, I'm not dissing Coke. Um, I'm just sort of saying this, there is oftentimes, even, well, maybe we take Coke as an example, right? So there's a can of Coke, but ultimately there's distributors who are involved in that can of Coke. There are retailers that are involved in that can of Coke. There are regulators that sort of want to see the labeling on the packaging and how much sugar is actually in there. There are whatever, right? So they become the people that we're designing for and they become the people that we need to actually talk to in our research and in our interviews. Um, Look at that. Even a can of Coke has a complex stakeholder environment. (laughs) <laughs> who would have thunk it? Um, so we need to sort of understand who we're who we're designing for, who's in that mix, and then what's what are our what are their needs? What are our hypotheses about what they're looking for? And then starting to understand, um, well, what sort of questions am I going to ask them? Right? What are my first hypotheses I have, and, and what do we think their challenges are going to be, and what can I learn from them? And then you're just structuring an interview around what do I think I'm going to learn from a distributor? What do I think I'm going to learn from a retailer? What do I think I'm going to learn from the person who's I don't know, installing Coke's fridges, like whoever you think you need to talk to. But one thing that can be tricky or I can see some people um, getting scared is the feeling of, I actually don't know enough to have, to hold a conversation with these people. Yeah. yeah. Right? So how do you go above that? I I, I totally get it. All right. I think um, uh, you're going to write off, some interviews will be a disaster. Right, because the interview, like seriously, it's just what it is, right? Like the interview partner won't be good or interested. Um, they'll have been poorly briefed. Um, you'll be super naive about the topic and there's some like hardcore expert in the field about logistics and they're just going to treat you like a kid. Like all those things are going to happen, but the whole point of doing research is that you get smarter along the way. And so, you know, depending on how much research you're able or allowed to do, um, there will be some interviews that you'll have to write off and say that they were shit because I was onboarding myself and I was getting smarter about the topic. But eventually, you know, if you're two or three weeks or ideally you've got some more time for research, when you're further into that process, you should be getting to, I mean, you're not going to be a bloody expert in aluminium manufacturing, but you should sort of understand how smol- smoldering, smelting? Yeah, smelting probably. Smoldering is probably... Yeah, smelting, like whatever, like how that process kind of works, right? And I'm not worried about um, all those detailed chemical reactions, but how do we start to um, get smart enough about all those different processes about that are, that are relevant for the the problem that I'm solving? Eventually, you'll get there. And I think it's just more like initially is having the confidence to sort of walk in. And it's, it's all right to be super straight up and transparent about where you are in the process and what you know and what the goal of that interview is, right? You might sort of articulate that the first one's about understanding the smelting process. And eventually, you might get into a stage of like, well, how would the manufacture of aluminium cans change with the design we have in mind? And that makes it better for the can't see me pointing over my head here, but that makes it better for the um, for the distributors and for the retailers as well. But sort of understanding those different players in the mix, or like then it's almost like like a journey of an aluminium can from you know mining to recycling. What are all the different stakeholders in that sort of mix? And 
being super transparent and upfront about where you are in the, the process of, of redesigning that that can and so that the the person that you're talking to will talk to you in a level that you can understand but you'll eventually become smarter about it i mean that's that's the fucking point yeah that's what helped me a lot is like introducing the whole conversation saying that hey i don't know a lot about this uh topic i'm gonna ask some very dumb questions and yeah. it's kind of then everything is easier from there because yeah. you kind of set the bar really yeah. low <laughs> and and then you know even even if you start with really basic questions just like hey how does your day-to-day look like what is your main challenge right now what is the product you're working on sure then you can dive deeper and ask more and more point questions like yeah. better questions and yeah. maybe like you said even if the first interview is not great if you have like three retailers lined up the third one is hopefully much better yeah Unless it's somebody who's not willing to tell you. Anything. Well, that's a different. That's a different problematic <laughs> yeah. again. But, I mean, that's sort of why you need you need a certain level of a certain amount of research that you're able to do in order to make because you're going to have people who don't want to talk to you or they're not interested or, like I said, they've been briefed wrongly and have a different expectation about what they're supposed to be talking about. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say. Sorry, back to your point around setting the bar low. Like that's not really what you. It's not about setting the bar low. I think it's more about setting the expectations about where you are in the process and what you need yeah, to learn. That's what I meant. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. 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 <laughs> um, but I think that your point about stakeholder research is really important because a lot of the times as designers, we just jump onto users, customers, and yeah. just over-index on that point. Yeah. I mean, it's important. It's super important. It's yeah. like it, we are user-centric yeah. after all. But if we just look at the users, then we forget to design for all different stakeholders. Absolutely. And having like a really good, like talking to 10 users and then just having like one retailer and one distributor is like, you're not going to get the right ratio of insights no. a lot of times. Uh, so I think having more, putting more importance to that is really, really important for us as a whole community. I think. Yeah, completely agree. But that's also like the point of that desktop research initially, right? Like who are those people in the, if we're back to our can, like who are the people involved in that sort of stuff? Like if I Google for aluminium or coca-cola process i'll see how all that shit works all right or if i look from like mining to recycling you'll get an understanding about who those stakeholders are you'll get an understanding by doing the looking ins about who can we influence or who's actually important for us to actually design for and who can we ignore right like you can also if you're looking for design for all the stakeholders ever then you can find yourself in different rabbit holes so you need to sort of find the right balance between just looking at users um and designing all the details for everything and also understanding where you are in the process, right? We're talking about research at the moment for inspiration. We're at the start of a a project, we're at the start of understanding the problem. And that sort of flips a little bit later on once you've sort of synthesized and and incited and ideated, um, then you're starting to validate. You've now got some more concrete concepts with some more meat on them and then you can start to have still having conversations with people like inside the organization, outside the organization with different stakeholders, but you're actually not asking discovery exploratory questions anymore. You now hopefully have one or two or several different concepts that you can actually, that are fleshed out in a little bit more detail and you can start having a a different type of conversations with those people. Mm. And so, we'll oftentimes like have, you know, those stakeholders that I met in the first round of interviews because we had, a, we built up a good rapport with one another. We will go back to those people and ask them again and said, hey, Jenny, remember you told us this thing about X, Y, Z? Well, here's how we're solving it. Um, 
give us some feedback, right? And, and typically, Jenny's super grateful because she's given you input into the first thing. She's grateful that you've asked her questions about what she thinks. Right? Most people love that anyways. And then you've gone back to her and said, hey, Jenny, we've got some other points um, or some other things that we'd like to um, test with you. And thanks for your input last time, by the way. Here's how we've sort of interpreted and designed it. What do you think? So, we're sort of getting closer to the thing, Exactly. And I found this actually, this research also to be a great sales process too. Yeah, totally. Like for the venture design, if you're creating a new product, talking to people and not selling anything, but actually listening to them. And then, as you said, coming back with a solution, a lot of the times that what can happen is those are going to be your early customers or beta customers. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's, that's what we've certainly seen B2B all the time, right? They're not... They're just super grateful that you've come out and asked them what you think, what they think firstly. So, thanks for that. Um, they've, you've come back to them and shown them like some early dirty prototypes and they've been able to give feedback on that. Well, thanks for that. And then they're typically super willing to sign up and be the first pilot customers because they kind of own the idea. I mean, we talked earlier about like talking to internal stakeholders and doing the looking ins. I mean, the other reason that you do that is for buy-in and a sense of ownership for those sort of peeps so that when you come back and start talking about it, they kind of feel that they've contributed to the process and they've been part of the process and they sort of see their own ideas or, or what they want to see, but in the in the final solution and they're more willing to give it a tick and give it budget to continue. Mm. So Trent, this process sounds pretty long. <laughs> so I can see, I can uh, already predict somebody listening to this is, is thinking, hmm, this sounds like two to three months or maybe one month of work. How how am I going to convince my boss to give me that time? You know, like because if you're tasked with just working on one feature and improving this, why would you spend your time working on this whole? research talking to different stakeholders stuff and talking to customers in that way it just sounds like a lot of work for maybe not that much additional value how would you convince and how would you explain the value i think it depends on what you're doing right like if you're designing one feature and it's a bit more of a like it's super it's discreet in in scope like it's tied in scope maybe you don't need to go and spend all that time with the stakeholders because it's um it's clear who the user is and it doesn't have as many interconnected points. So, it might be fine to, to reduce the scope of the research that you're doing because it matches the scope of the thing that you're trying to design. Um, if you're, But that's also predicated on the fact that that little piece, that little feature that I'm trying to design builds up with a whole lot of different features into a product and there's a product vision that's already set and well-defined and we as a product team or our team of teams, we know where we're going. We know what we're building towards. I think in my experience, that product vision isn't always there. And so, the person working on that discrete feature, well, how does that relate to the other features that are being to the left and to the right? I mean, how do we sort of scale all those things and bring them together up into that 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 bigger vision? I think getting to the bigger vision requires a bit more of that fundamental kind of research. And I think then oftentimes the remit is there from the boss to, to take those months that are required to articulate what those or understand what those user needs are and, and then outline the vision with a vision then i think it's okay to do that discrete research and it becomes a bit more validatory kind of research in nature right we're not looking out for inspiration we kind of know where it's going and then it becomes a bit more around user um using user workflows right and, and user experience sort of stuff but it's a bit more discrete rather than the whole big blowing up the world again thing yeah, no, I completely agree. Like if you're starting from zero, yeah, obviously you have to really go into all of those details. But if you're working on a feature, then the smaller scope makes sense. But still, like there are internal stakeholders that are going to be affected by this feature. So there sure. still makes sense to talk to somebody. But yeah, 
but then you're yourself it doesn't make sense then to do the whole convoluted no but then you're ideally you're working in a product team you're doing your scrum your two-week cycles so there's user testing in that there's sort of stakeholder testing in that you're doing your demo days whatever so you should still be doing research you should still be communicating to internal stakeholders you should still be there should still be building alignment across your teams i'm not saying that always works or always happens but that's sort of the intent what's the advice you would give to somebody who isn't allowed to talk to the customers of their company because of the sales you know because there's a sales in between and they're very protective yeah of course have industries like insurance companies where you just don't have access to the end consumers or on paper you don't have it how how do we usually how do we usually go around it? Um, I think you need to make friends with the sales guys. Like they're the ones that have access to the customers. So you need to get them cool with what you're doing and why you're doing it. Like you mentioned before, right? Like it is a business development activity doing this sort of research because you're going out and asking people what they think about. So from that perspective, it's positive. So you need to remind the sales guys that this is a, a business building exercise for you. Like for us as designers, it's it's research into the, the, the problem that we, we've been tasked to solve. But for you as a salesperson, it's a bit more, um, you can see it as a business development tool. So making friends with the salespeople, communicating to them, managing their expectations, taking them with you to those interviews. Sometimes that needs to be sort of a bit more thought about. Like is the person that I'm interviewing going to be honest with me if the sales guy's in the room because the sales guys will often you need to tell them to stop selling in those interviews yeah. right like they need yeah. to sit down and chill and listen rather than sell stuff um, i think it's all right to do that after the interview but your goal in that interview is to understand the needs and the problems that your users have um, it's not about selling them the hot new xyz model um the iPhone 11 <laughs> topical. <laughs> Thanks very much. Um, yeah. So I think it's about making friends with sales and making sure that, that they can provide you with access. That's one option. The other option is talking to recruiters, right? Like getting some money from your boss and going and spending money on recruiters. Like I'm always amazed at the database those people have, right? Like I need type one diabetics that have a Netflix account and are them whatever. And they can typically dig that stuff up yeah, for you. Yeah. Um, so that's actually quite, and that's a pretty another good source of, of users as well. And there's, there's, there's a number of services out there now that are sort of building up their, um, man, what's the word? Their, their, their roster of people. So you can actually be doing surveys, like online surveys with different peeps. And so that, that can also be a way where you can actually circumvent the sales guys and sort of find users on your own. Mm. But just a quick build on the sources of where you can find people to talk to. And like one of the, uh, most often overlooked, but probably the best uh, sources is just your network. Yeah, absolutely. Just reaching out to people you know, yeah. and usually there is always somebody. I know, like when I was a student in the university, I always felt like uh, once I get and I work for like a consultancy, then it's gonna be super easy to find these people and talk to them because now I'm a student, I know nobody. Yeah. But then you get to consultancy and you see actually that it's done the same way. People yeah. just go through their network and find people who they know or somebody somebody who they know knows somebody etc it depends how specific the request is right and, sure. and how militant the client is like sometimes they're a little bit more scientific in the way they want to do it but I think a conversation with anybody is better than no conversation so ideally you've you've outlined the people that you want to talk to you know those stakeholders you sort of said okay I want to talk to 73 year old males with I don't know bunions um, but 
um, it might not always be as, as discreet or scientific as that. And then I think like going through the friends and family network is often a good sort of starting point, particularly like we said, like you, you're probably going to burn the first few interviews anyways, because you're not quite sure what questions you should be asking, but you'll start to finesse your questionnaire and get smarter about it. And so then eventually um, as you sort of maybe move on to more, maybe you sort of want to do those friends and family interviews first in order to get a feel for how you're asking the questions and how you're structuring the interviews. Um, before you move on to some more, call them like critical interview partners that are maybe a bit more specific, maybe you're paying them for their time, maybe they're experts, whatever, but you're a little bit smarter on the topic before you get there through mm-hmm. your friends and family research. Cool. So now that we've done the research, how do we actually create insights? How does the synthesis look like? Yeah, synthesis is tricky. Um, I mean, I, I think from an, an, an audio perspective, um, I just want to give a call out to a, a colleague in London, uh, Matt Cooper Wright, who's done some written some really nice medium articles on design research and also on, um, on, on synthesis and insights. And I think actually the IDOU courses for, um, what is it? Insights. It's called insights to innovation. Yeah, I think. Thank you. Like good, good, good cross selling. Um, that's actually a pretty good course in sort of digging insights into that for innovation. Insights sorry. for innovation. There you go. Um, obviously there's a, there's, potentially a lot of information here right we've might we might have gone out and spoken to 15 20 30 people in the field uh we might have spoken to five or ten sort of internal stakeholders we've got desktop research ideally we've got some insights from the data um requests that we've made of the client so there's a lot of different points of learning that kind of need to be um mashed together um and that's i think what we typically sort of do is we tell stories for you know we talk about the people that we have spoken to and what we thought they're so who are those people what are their motivations what are their pain points um and once you've sort of talked about those you've sort of introduced those people and that sort of needs a nice structure about how you're sort of capturing the information from the interviews but once you started and introduced all those sort of people to the to the, the team that you're working with ideally um you start to see these emerging and re-emerging themes um, and then it's a matter of like, you know, you're working with post-its. So, um, you can start to sort of pull those post-its off and group them up into these different categories and these different themes. Um, so, easier said than done, but right? Like it depends on how how much – what did my interviews – that was a funny noise. Uh, what did my interviews look like? Like how did I start to um, – how was I talking to people? How inspirational was it? How good were they as an interview, as a as a as a discussion partner? Um, that stuff is all then super relevant because this time now, when you're telling stories about people and you're talking to the rest of your team, and you haven't had all of those conversations, so some of your other colleagues are telling sort of different stories about the people they've met. How do you start to mash all that stuff together? But I think what you're looking to do then is, um, these are the people I spoke to. These are the merging themes. This is the the data that we've gotten and the sort of what we were able to ascertain from, you know, the analysis we made of, of the data we were given. Um, these are the other hypotheses that we initially had about through our desktop research about the industry or competitors. Are they still true and are they still valid? Um, and then I think what from an audio perspective, you'd be saying, okay, so, well, this is the insights, right? This is what I learned about this thing. These are the opportunity areas that I think we can design for that I think will... Um, we'll start to there's different back to the Coke can example well am I going to redesign the process of the manufacturing process do I need to redesign the the fridge at the point of sale because people can't access it whatever they can't see it Um, and then we would sort of describe those things as these different opportunity areas that we could potentially dive into in more detail in a second phase so 
that's a bit more like a when I'm doing a ground zero kind of project discovery, if you back to your thing about, okay, I'm designing this feature, well, then it's a matter of sort of saying, what are those from the research I've done, which is probably also then a lot more data driven at that stage because I've done sort of like user research directly. Um, what do we what do we then learn about how that feature needs to evolve or how have we sort of the conversations we've had with the people who are working left and right of me, how are we sort of integrating uh, and organizing ourselves together? I think this is kind of the phase that's often overlooked because it feels like after you get out of the research, you have a feeling, oh, we know something, we learned something, right? And there's like a common feeling that you learned stuff, but until you really put it down, it's kind of in the air and you don't know yeah. exactly what you learned. Yeah. I think a lot of that comes from shaping this and like you said, meshing. So yeah. one part is meshing, but I found the next step even more important, even more crucial, which is like shaping, like framing and like writing these things sure. down, like actually trying to like you have like six or seven poses that they're trying to kind of say the same thing and then once you try the right one sentence that kind of summarizes it that's where it gets really hard and that's yep. where you really see that if have i learned something is there something that's really there that's interesting or not and it's something that most people just don't take time for because it's yeah. it's, it's a time consuming thing yeah um to really take the time to write it yeah. and maybe let it sit for two days to see yeah. how it feels after that yeah and but it's super important it's kind of the bread and butter of design work I, I and think research work from, from a human-centered design sort of ideoatic perspective i think it's super critical to and, and and audio has the luxury of being able to take the time and 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 write those insights up and articulate them in a good way and making sure that they're mutually exclusive and independent and and clear and all that sort of stuff um i think it's also the value of having like writers like having people who can actually write well um whatever like the 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 language of communication is but um oftentimes it's good to employ someone who's this is sort of the thing that we're trying to say and then let someone who's independent of the the content sort of rewrite them and using different language in order to to try and figure out that because that's sort of the output at least in my opinion of the research that you've done are those insights i mean they sort of point the way to what we're going to design next they sort of take all of that information that we've heard and they say look these are the seven, 10, 15 things that we think are super, super fucking important. So, please listen, dear stakeholders. Um, and then based on those insights that are super fucking important, here are the opportunity areas that we think we can design for in order to start solving the pains of, of, of people. Um, I recognize as I talk about this now, this is, it's, it sounds, it's sort of based on my eight and a half years of working at IDEO. And I th I'm sure that I'd love to have this conversation with someone else and for them to say, dude, that's complete bullshit. Um, I think, I still think this is the right way to do it, but my experience is sort of based in, in IDEO's sort of style. So I'd be super curious to hear from other peeps that have a different perspective on, on how design research kind of rolls. Yeah, so if you're roll. listening and if you have a different point of view, just reach out and maybe we can schedule another podcast and discuss this thing together. Yeah, we have like like a research like bash off. Or if you're if you're <laughs> <laughs> or if you're a design researcher, then like it'd be also interesting to weigh in. How how do you sort of see the role? Because obviously, I I come at it from a bit more of a. I think it's still a human-centered perspective, but I come at it a little bit more from a business perspective. So, what what's what do you disagree with if you're um, if you're a design researcher? That's one one thing I also wanted to just quickly talk about. Also, is for business designers in in, in those who are listening, is don't be afraid also to use quant and qual together. You know, like 
have some data that supports your um, the research. So basically what the customers are telling, mix it together with what the trends are showing, what the numbers are showing to back it up. Yeah. So like definitely mix both like qual and quant together to, to form insights. And don't be afraid to talk to customers and stakeholders and start doing this. Absolutely. But I think the whole mushing it together thing is that, right? Like it is a matter of bringing together the the qualitative ethnographic type of research that you've done with the quant stuff. Like that's why that mushing it together, you can talk about telling stories, but what are those things that I've learned by doing the data analysis, right? So I don't know what, what sort of statistical stuff that you're doing to figure, fi- figure shit out, but that's the other sort of thing that needs to get mashed together during synthesis. Cool. Any final tips? Be good to your mums. <laughs> perfect. I think that's a perfect uh, final tip for this. Yeah, I do episode. too. Cool. Thanks, Trent. Yeah, thanks for having me. Cool. I hope you enjoy this episode. It's um, yeah, it's a bit different than usual because design research is not like a a core business design topic, but still very very important for design and for business design as a discipline. Um, so yeah. If you have any comments or you disagree with us or if you want to have the um, the design research bash off, as Trent mentioned, just reach out to us on LinkedIn. That's probably the best channel for, for reaching out. Um, and uh, I just have one quick um, update, which is that um, we last week we just started with a new batch of the DMBA, so um, an online MBA for designers so this time we had like 60 participants so two groups with 30 from all over the world and uh, this is gonna go from september 16th to october 28th and the next one we already have the date for the next one so it's gonna start on february 24th so yes there's still a long way out it's actually gonna happen next year but applications will open um early january so if you want to be notified when we actually open the seats applications for um, the DMBA, just head over to um, www.d.mba or beyondusers.com slash DMBA. Either way should work. And if you sign up for the waiting list, then you're going to be among the first ones to be notified when the seats open because this time we had so many applications actually that we couldn't fit all of you into one group. That's why we opened the second one. And if this continues, yeah, just making sure that you're on the waiting list so you can apply as soon as um, the the applications are open is a good idea. Cool. So, and this really concludes this episode. If you have any feedback, comments, ideas, just reach out and enjoy your day. Bye-bye.